Welcome to the Trademark Church Podcast. We're so excited for you to hear our message today. Another thing we would love is for you to join us in person, whether that's live, online, or if you're local to DFW, come visit our location in Fort Worth, Texas. For service times, location, and everything you need to know, visit trademark.church. We hope today's message encourages you and helps you live a more fulfilling life in Jesus. considering deeper who it is that Jesus is and what he's worthy of. And so if you have your Bibles tonight, I would love for you to turn to Matthew chapter two. Matthew is the very uh, first book of the New Testament. We're gonna be in Matthew chapter two and I'll, I'll read tonight what the word of God says, starting in verse one. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men, or maybe your Bible says magi, from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this and everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem, in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you, who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called a private meeting with the wise men, and had learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. God, tonight, as we just open up your word and as we take these next few moments to talk about the significance of this moment in history, would you allow your Holy Spirit to come and scatter your word like seed? And may it fall on the hearts of men and women tonight. And may as we leave this place, that seed be watered and take root that those that are here tonight would glorify Jesus with their lives. So Holy Spirit, come. Let these be your words, not mine. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Have you ever been caught off guard by someone? Maybe as simple as turning a corner and somebody was there that you didn't think would be there, or maybe a surprise birthday party. You've just been caught off guard a little bit. Anybody ever been in one of those moments where being caught off guard actually caused some fear inside of you? I remember when I was a, a, a child, probably second grade or so, it's maybe one of my earliest memories of like real fear for, for, for a period of time. I think it was right around the holiday season and we were out with my mother shopping, maybe Christmas shopping. I don't remember the specifics of it, but it was myself and my 
uh, younger siblings, my brother Elliot, who's on staff here with us, my brother Austin and our little sister Victoria. And we are doing just some daily shopping, maybe some Christmas shopping. And uh, all of a sudden, and I was pretty intuitive as a, as a young kid, I, I sensed some anxiousness with my mother on the drive home. There was a little bit of fear that had kind of overcome her. And you know, as parents, when you're you're afraid of something. You don't want your kids to know, right? If, if you get anxious about something or you're a little worried about something, the, the tendency is, is, is to like just hope it passes by so the kids don't like catch wind and they start to panic as well. Well, my mom was uh, uh, driving somewhat fast on these roads into our neighborhood and she was checking the rearview mirror constantly. And I could sense that something was wrong. We pull onto our street and immediately onto our street, she is just clicking the garage opener. Like open, 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 open. The garage begins to open. And as we're pulling in to the garage, this car that we didn't recognize stops right in front of our home, like right in front of the driveway. And a man begins to get out of the car. And my mother is trying to like close the garage. And she's telling us, kids, get in the house, get in the house, get in the house. So we're scrambling to get the seatbelt off and we're rushing in and I look toward the lowering garage and I see the legs and some boots and then these hands, these men, these hands of a man come under the garage and we're darting in the house trying to lock the door, petrified, about to call 911. Well, it turns out that my grandparents had flown in from California to surprise our family and randomly ended up on one of the same roads recognizing our car and followed us home. Completely taken off guard. You know, when the wise men, the magi, roll into Jerusalem, everyone is taken off guard. I don't want to destroy your lovely view of the nativity scene, but tonight we're going to talk a little bit about the reality of this situation. In all likelihood, these wise men were not just three. There were multiple wise men on this journey. And the truth of the matter is they, they probably actually didn't come in on camels. They may have had camels with them, but the wise men were probably not riding camels. It was more likely that they were actually riding Arabian horses. So more than Christmas scene, think like Aladdin. And these guys were probably rolling very deep with an entourage of people carrying supplies. This was a long journey, over a thousand mile journey through the desert to get to Jerusalem for them coming from the, the east. And they arrive in Jerusalem and they ask, where is the king? Now, the good chance was that when they arrived in Jerusalem, they just began asking people that they saw. They're riding into the city. People are looking, they're wondering who these people could be. And you got to remember, this is an era of time where like the world is a little unstable. Rome is taking things over and there's all sorts of different battles and wars that could be waged at any point. So these foreigners come into town and they start asking about a king. Well, secularly, everyone knew there was only one king and that was Caesar. 
But locally in Jerusalem, as they're asking, hey, where is this child that's been born king of the Jews? Herod's like, wait a second, I'm king of the Jews. If you know anything about King Herod, he was a ruthless individual. He had his wife killed and his two sons killed at one point because he thought they were conspiring against him. Any hint of anyone who may have been like encroaching upon his throne or his territory, he would do away with. In fact, when Herod died, when he was on his deathbed, he ordered the execution of dozens of noblemen because he said no one would mourn his death, but somebody would cry. The guy was ruthless. And it says that he and all of Jerusalem are disturbed. Do you know what this word disturbed actually means? It means to be visibly shaken. These guys come into the palace and they say, we're looking for the king of the Jews. And they're shaken with fear. Herod's shaken with fear and everyone with him. And tonight, what I want to do is I want to just talk about these men, these wise men, whether there were three or there were 30, it doesn't matter. I want to talk about them and the reason that they came. Who were these men and why had they come to Jerusalem? Why had they had packed up this entourage of people and traveled over a thousand miles through the desert to come to this place? Well, these men were most likely, if you want some history behind this, uh, known as a group of people called the Medes. That is probably from the group of people that they had come from. And these uh, Medes lived amongst the Persian Empire. And their role was very identical to what you would read about in Scripture of the Levites. There were these men mentioned in, in um, the Bible called Levites, and they were uh, temple uh, assistants. They would help in sacrifice and worship and all of the things that the priest and others had to do within the temple and in the worship of God. And so they played a very similar role in an Eastern land for the worship of their gods. These were men who instructed the Persian king. And in Persia, no sacrifice could be offered without the presence of a magi, one of these wise men. They were considered by all to be men of holiness and wisdom. But above all, if you do your research on them, they were known to be men who sought after truth. And in their quest for truth, they actually would have been very familiar with influence and the writings from the book of Daniel and many of the Old Testament prophecies about this king to come. You see, it's interesting when you really study scripture and you look at the whole of it, how God orchestrates certain things throughout history. If you know anything about your Bible, there was a man named Daniel and when he was a boy, he was exiled, he was kidnapped, he was taken. His land was conquered. He was a Jewish boy and he was bright and he was smart. And he was brought into this foreign land in the east in Babylon where he served the kings with his friends who you might know as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And Daniel was given 
favor by God in this foreign land. And he remained in this foreign land and he served dynasty after dynasty after dynasty from a young boy, a teenage boy into his late eighties. Most likely he served every king and he had great influence in this area. And so if you were from the East and you were a seeker of truth, the influence of Daniel would have had its fingerprint all in the literature and all in the writing. They would have been familiar with the prophecies of Jesus. Now, it's one thing to read about something, but it's another thing to truly seek out the significance of it. There's a lot we could say in our era of life about truth, seeking truth and wanting to find truth. And in our era, everything uh, is truth. Whatever you want truth to be is what it's going to be. And if it's your truth, then just adopt it as your truth. But if everything is truth, then there really is no truth. And so the reality is that we need to learn from these wise men and we need to be seekers of truth. They were such seekers of truth that they read about a prophecy of a baby that was to be born a king in a foreign land to the Jews. And they collected everything that they had and they went on a thousand mile journey just to see if it was true. Now, we don't know the exact details of the star they followed, and we may never know what that actually means or if there was an actual star. When you really study this stuff, there were many uh, things happening in this time of the world. There were these crazy eclipses that took place. People believe that Halley's Comet was uh, somewhere in this time. There were all sorts of significant things taking place. We won't ever fully know the details, but what we do know is that these men were seekers of truth and there was something based on the knowledge that they had that had beckoned them, pulled them, called them to go find out if it was true that there was going to be a king born in this place called Bethlehem. And in this seeking and in this truth finding that they were looking for about this king when you really read the text, they had one goal and one mission in mind. And you know what it was? It was that if he was there, they had come to do one thing and one thing only, and that was worship. They probably left their land saying, listen, we don't know for certain but we've read and we're going to go investigate and find out. And if indeed this is true, we are going to worship. And how they worshiped him was both extravagant and significant. And so tonight I want to talk about the extravagance of their worship and the significance of their worship. They gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, I want to give you some perspective to the extravagance of these gifts. If you were to translate our currency to back then and do the calculations and find out how much these gifts were worth, we don't know the exact amount that they gave to him. But it was probably more than what we see in our nativity scenes. You see, if you were going to find a king, you didn't come with just a little bit. You came with a lot. And so they brought gold and gold's value in that day was $600 a pound. Now gold's more expensive actually now. It's 10 times that amount, I believe. But they brought gold, significant, extravagant gift. 
They brought frankincense. Frankincense back then was worth about $500 a pound. And then this one blew me away as I did a little bit of research. Myrrh, myrrh would have translated back then to almost $4,000 a pound. These gifts were extravagant. But you know what's so crazy about the extravagance of these gifts? They brought them to a kid, not a king. You don't bring gold and frankincense and myrrh to a, to a baby, to a little kid. You bring these extravagant gifts to a king who sits on a throne. You bring these gifts to a king who has an established kingdom. Yet they brought them to a baby. And you know why? Because they believed in who the baby would become. They didn't need to see him on a throne. They didn't need to see him walk on water. They didn't need to see him raise the dead. They didn't need to see him do anything to prove who he was. It was their faith that led him to him. And it was their faith that caused them to worship. Does your faith in who Jesus is cause you to worship and worship extravagantly? Now, I'm not saying that we have to bring expensive gifts to Jesus. I'm not that type of preacher. But if you do have some gold and you want to leave it, you're more than welcome to. We don't have to bring extravagant gifts before Jesus. But you know what it means if we truly have faith in who he is as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? What we bring to him is our best. The best of who we are. The best of our lives. The best of our talent, the best of our resources, the best of who we are. And you know why? Because he's worthy. He's worthy. You know, our level of belief in who Jesus is will determine the level of our worship. When we realize the magnitude of who Jesus is, Our worship should be nothing short of extravagant. You know, we're at an advantage to the wise men. The wise men didn't have a Bible. They didn't have a church. They didn't have a small group. They didn't have a discipleship program. They didn't have a worship team. They didn't have all of the the history. They didn't know about the crucifixion. They didn't know about the resurrection. They didn't have what we have today, yet they still believed. And it was the belief that led them to seek truth. They had a prophecy. And it was in that prophecy that they sought after truth. And when they discovered the truth of it, they put their faith in him and they worshiped. Is your faith leading you to worship Jesus? with what we know, what we have access to. And if we would just be sincere seekers of truth and really dive into the validity of scripture and the biblical narrative and all that it means, what we would arrive at is that Jesus is who he says that he is. Do we worship him? They worshiped him. 
They worshiped a baby, believing in who he would become. That's faith. But they also worshiped him with great significance. They may not have known the significance of their gifts, but there is great significance in the gifts that they gave to Jesus. And I hope that maybe what you get from tonight will each year as you come to Christmas and you see the nativity scene and you think about the gold, frankincense and myrrh, three items that kind of just breeze through our mind at Christmas or when we read the narrative here. But when you really think about these gifts, there's great significance because they speak to who Jesus is and they can serve as a reminder to us of who he truly is. So there's three things that these gifts speak to. And the first is this, Jesus is king. Jesus is king. Jesus is king. Seneca, the Roman philosopher, tells us that it was custom that no one ever approach the king without a gift. And gold was the most appropriate gift to give a king. So if you were coming into the presence of a king, one, you shouldn't come into the presence of king without a gift. And if you really wanted to show this king that you believed in his honor and you believed in his glory and his majesty and his authority and his power, and you really believed in who he was seated on his throne, you would bring gold because it signified, I believe that you are the king. The wise men came to Jesus and they gave him gold because he is a king. When we come to Christ, when we show up in this place each Sunday, when we pray, when we think about our lives as Christians, one thing that we should never forget is that Jesus is king. He is king of kings. He is Lord of lords. He is king. And as king, you know what that demands of us? Total submission to his lordship. There's a story of a great British admiral by the name of Nelson, who is known for treating his vanquished opponents with great kindness and respect. This guy was known for conquering other ships and uh, being this just great master military mind. And most of the time when we see these great generals or admirals, what happens is they can be very ruthless to the people that they conquer. But he was known for his compassion and his kindness to those that he conquered. After one of his naval victories, the defeated admiral was brought aboard Nelson's flagship and onto Nelson's quarter deck. Knowing Nelson's reputation for courtesy and thinking to trade on it, he advanced across the deck with hand outstretched as if he was advancing to shake hands with an equal. Nelson's hand remained by his side. Your sword first, he said, then your hand. You know, church, before we can ever be friends with Jesus, we have to submit to Jesus. When we approach Jesus, we have to remember Jesus is king. I said this a few weeks ago. There's a lot of people that want Jesus to save them, but there are very few people that truly want to submit to him. 
We love Jesus in the manger and we love Jesus on the cross as well we should, but sometimes we don't love Jesus sitting on the throne because what that means is we have to submit to who he is. The wise men brought gold because Jesus is king. The next gift speaks to us about Jesus as high priest. Jesus is king, but Jesus is also high priest. You know, the function of a priest in biblical times was to open the way to God and man. The, the actual word priest in Latin is pontifex, and it actually means bridge builder. So the role and the purpose of a priest is to build a bridge between man and God and God and man. They're kind of the mediator between God and man. And in biblical times in the temple, when there was worship and there was sacrifice taking place, what do you think the priest burned? Frankincense. Anytime a person came and they were offering sacrifice, frankincense. Anytime they entered into worship, what would they smell? The temple would permeate with the scent, the beautiful scent of frankincense. The wise men brought frankincense to Jesus as a recognition of his priesthood. They were recognizing that Jesus, whether they fully knew this or not, they were recognizing and they were pointing to the future that Jesus was the bridge builder between God and man. And you know, in the temple where these priests would serve and the frankincense would burn, there was a veil that separated a place called the Holy of Holies from where the people actually worshiped. And it was only once a year that the high priest could actually go into the Holies of Holies and, and offer mediation for the people. It was the very presence of God that dwelled behind that veil and no one could come through there except the high priest once a year and he had to go through all of these ceremonies to be able to enter in there to make sure that he was purified to go in there. In fact, they would tie a rope around his waist and he had these bells and trembling and fear would enter into this and the reason there was a rope on him and the bells was because if he dropped dead, they would hear the bells ring and they could pull him out. A serious business. But you know, as Jesus hung on the cross, you know what the Bible tells us that the veil was torn in two and all access was given to us to the very presence of God because Jesus is the bridge builder between God. And so let me be an encouragement to some of you tonight. You don't need a pastor. You don't need a priest. You don't need a religious guru to get you to God. Jesus is the bridge builder. So I hope this doesn't offend anybody, but you don't have to go to a priest for confession. You don't have to come and sit in my office and tell me all of the things that you've done and hope that I can be a mediator between you and God. Please don't put that pressure on me. Jesus is the mediator. He is the high priest. There's no need to ever offer sacrifice again because he was the sacrifice. And the veil has been torn in two and all access has been given to us. Listen to what it says in Hebrews about Jesus being the high priest. Hebrews chapter four, verses 13 through 16. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes and he is the one to whom we are accountable. That verse should actually make us tremble. 
That all the sin, all of the mistakes, all of the things of our lives are exposed before God. Even if they're hidden to everyone else, they are exposed before a holy God. But it goes on to say, so then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weakness. You know why? Because he came to be like us. For he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Listen, Jesus is king, but Jesus is also high priest. And because he is high priest, We can enter boldly into the very presence of God. And you know what we find when we boldly enter the presence of God? Grace. I don't know about you, but I need grace. God is not a God, and I hope this is encouragement to you. God is not a God that you approach and think he is going to punish me and he's out to get me and he is a God that wants nothing to do with me. No, because of Jesus, what we find in God is a gracious, merciful, loving father who wants nothing but relationship with us. And so when we boldly enter in because of what Jesus has done for us, he knows our weakness. Do you know why Jesus came? Do you know why we say Emmanuel, God with us? Do you know why Jesus had to become a baby? Maybe that's a question you've asked. Why didn't Jesus just come on a glorious cloud and enter into existence and make himself known? No, because he needed to experience, wanted to experience. Not that he needed to experience it. He wanted us to know that he understands what it means to be human. He understands what it means to be tested. He understands what it means to be rejected. He understands what it means to be tempted. He understands what it means to go through pain. He knows what it means to experience death death. He understands our human condition. Yet in it, he did not sin. And in him, we find complete mercy and grace. Brother, sister, I know that you struggle with that. I know that that is a difficult thing to overcome. I know that that grief that you're experiencing right now, because I've experienced myself and you know what you find in me? Wholeness, acceptance, Jesus is our high priest. Jesus is king. Jesus is high priest. I'll call the band up as we get ready to close here in a moment. Jesus is also savior. You know, when we celebrate Christmas, it's really easy sometimes in in the festivities. And listen, like I, I, I think Christmas, I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian that that believes that you should get caught up in the festivities of Christmas. I think you should have joy. I think that you should celebrate. I think that you should give gifts. I think that you should put up a tree. I think that you should enjoy all of the things that surround Christmas. Go take pictures with Santa Claus. Who really cares? In fact, I'll tell you something. We got no presents under our tree. My son is fully convinced that Santa Claus is somehow coming down our chimney and there's been a fire in it for the last two days, but he's convinced he's coming tonight. And I have a feeling I'm getting no sleep with the anticipation of this child's Christmas. So listen, enjoy all of that. 
Enjoy all of that. But in the enjoyment, don't forget the reason Jesus came. He was born as a baby and it was a miracle. But he was born as a baby to experience our human condition and to die. Jesus came to die. The mission of Jesus' life was to go to a cross and to hang on it for you and I. That was the mission of Jesus' life, to reconcile humanity to God. Jesus is Savior. You know, when the wise men gave myrrh, it was a gift that spoke about Jesus' death. And it's interesting, it's prophetic. Myrrh was used in those days for embalming bodies. And yeah, it had great value, it was worth a lot of money, and so maybe they just brought it because they knew it would help Joseph and Mary in this situation. Maybe they brought it just because it was something uh, that they used in their trade or or whatever it may be, but I don't think so. I think they brought it because it was prophetic. Why would you bring something to embalm a body to a baby because it was prophesying to what this baby would become, savior of the world, crucified on a cross. You see, every, every step of Jesus' life was leading to the cross. The first cry in Mary's arms was a step toward the cross. The first mama and the first dada was a step toward the cross. The first physical steps. The young boy sitting amongst the elders. And they're in awe of the questions he's asking. Was a step toward the cross. Jesus lived 30 years of his life in obscurity, working in a carpenter shop, taking care of his family. And then for three years, he comes into the human scene the known scene. He says, repent and turn to God. God has what's best for you. God loves you. It's why I came. And I'm going to have to die for you. But I do it for the future glory. I do it because I know that if you'll put your faith and your belief in me, you'll be with me forever. You know, there's a painting that I found. It was done in the 1800s. It's going to come up on the screen here. The artist's name is Holman Hunt. And the, the painting's title is The Shadow of Death. And what the artist wanted to do in this painting was to depict the reality of Jesus' life. And the star above Jesus' head is in there strategically and purposefully to remind us that it was the wise men that sought out to this baby. And that baby, every step of his life, was leading to a cross. What the artist was trying to accomplish is Jesus working in his carpentry shop, is standing up to stretch his limbs from working on whatever it was that he was working on. And as he stretched out his arms, the light cast a shadow on the back wall against 
the very type of tools that would be used to nail Jesus' hands to a cross. And at his feet, there's a headband and it's red to signify the bloodied crown of thorns that would sit upon his head. And his mother Mary there, kneeling beside him, shielding her eyes from what she knew was coming, is a depiction of what she truly experienced at the foot of the cross. Her baby, grown up, cherishing all of these moments in her heart, knowing that he would die to be savior of the world. The whole life of Jesus from his birth was leading him to a cross so that he could save men and women from their sins. And so as we celebrate this Christmas season, let us not forget that Jesus is king, Jesus is high priest, and Jesus is savior. You know, the wise men gave these gifts to a baby because they believed in who he would become. William Barclay says that gold for a king, frankincense for a priest, myrrh for the one to who, is, who is to die. These were the gifts the wise men gave. And even at the cradle of Christ, they foretold that he was to be the true king, the perfect high priest, and in the end, the supreme savior of the world. But here's what I want you to actually walk away with tonight. It was God, the father, who sent Jesus to earth. Jesus is a gift to us. He is a gift from God that is far greater than gold and far greater than frankincense and myrrh. Jesus is the gift that God gave to us. But listen to this. God did not give the gift of Jesus because of who we are. God gave the gift of Jesus for the potential of who we could become. God didn't send Jesus because we're good. God didn't send Jesus because of anything great that we've done. God didn't send Jesus to us for any other reason than he knew that if they will put their faith in my son, I know who they can become know who they can become. I know the potential of their life. I know that the best will be for their life. I know the best will be for their marriage. I know the best will be for their family. I know the best will be for them if they will just receive the gift of my son. You see, Romans tells us in chapter five, verse eight, that God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. The wise men gave the gifts to a baby believing in who we would become. Jesus is our gift from God because God believed in who we could become. And so tonight, regardless of where you're at at this moment, maybe you are sincerely seeking, maybe you're even skeptical. Maybe you're just unsure about all this Jesus stuff. Here is what I would encourage you to do. 
be like the wise men. Just seek the truth. Don't seek after a truth or don't just find a truth that seems to fit for the time being. Seek after the truth. Even if you don't believe that there's a God in the sky, I challenge you to pray a prayer and say, God, prove yourself to me. As I seek to find answers, as I seek for direction for my life, if I seek to find truth, will you reveal what truth is to me? Because here's what I believe. If you will be a sincere seeker like the wise men, listen, these were pagans. They worshiped foreign gods, yet they were seeking after the truth. And you know where the truth, if you sincerely seek it, will always arrive at? It will always arrive at Jesus. And so my encouragement to any of you who don't believe, I'm a sincere seeker of the truth because I believe it will reveal itself to you. For others of you, maybe you know that Jesus is Savior and you know that you have access to God, but maybe you have not been living your life like Jesus is King. Maybe there needs to be some repentance that takes place this holiday season to where you say, you know what? I believe, I believe, but my beliefs are not reflected in my behavior. My beliefs are not reflected in my lifestyle. I have not submitted my life to you. Maybe this holiday season, maybe it's time for you to fully submit to Jesus as King and watch what he begins to do in your life. And then others of you, you believe you're submitted. Here's my encouragement to you. Keep running this good race. Keep being a light in a dark world. Keep being bold about your faith. Keep encouraging your children. Keep investing in the church. Keep this thing going because listen, it is God who has called us to be his people, to advance his kingdom so that darkness can never overcome it. And so if you believe and if you're submitted, keep going, keep going. Because someday you're going to get to stand before Jesus and you won't worship him as a baby and you won't worship him on a cross. You will worship him on a throne because Jesus is king. And how we're going to conclude tonight is we're going to take communion together and then we'll light some candles in just a moment. Customary here at Trademark Church that every time we gather, we pause for a moment to remember the sacrifice of Jesus. If you're new with us tonight, communion is located in the seat back in front of you, or if you're on one of our front rows, it's right beneath your seat. You just peel the top layer back for the bread and the bottom layer for the cup. You know, I just ask that you hold on to these two elements for just a moment. As I said, enjoy Christmas. I pray that when you wake up tomorrow, your household is filled with joy. I pray that breakfast is good. I pray that you got the gifts that you wanted. I pray that everything about tomorrow is awesome and significant and wonderful. I pray that over the next several days, you get to spend time with family and friends. But I also want to encourage you with something in the festivities of Christmas and the joy of Christmas. 
This moment right here is just a reminder to us of why Jesus came. The Bible tells us that it was the joy set before him that he endured the cross. So Jesus wants us to be joyful, but he also doesn't want us to forget the cost of what it is that we celebrate. So I want to just give you just a little bit of space right now to make sure that in all of the things that surround Christmas, we have a moment just to tell Jesus, thank you. Thank you for leaving all of your glory in heaven. Thank you for putting on flesh so that you could identify with the things that we go through. Thank you for dying on a cross for me. Take a moment and give him thanks, and then we'll take the bread and the cup together in a moment. thousand years ago that Jesus stepped out of heaven and into space and time and he came and he lived as a man and he lived perfectly before he went to the cross he gathered his disciples together and he gave us the sacrament of communion not a sacrament that we should take without reflection because he said remember that my body's going to be broken and my blood is going to be poured out and so when you do this let it serve as a reminder of why I came I came to reconcile you to God and so church let's take this bread and remember the broken body of Jesus tonight And then in the same way, let's take this cup and remember his blood that forgives our sins. Let's take the cup together. Jesus, we thank you. We glorify you. You are king. You are our high priest. And you are our savior. We glorify you because you're good. We thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for loving us enough to leave heaven, to live this life that we live, and then to die on a cross for us. So may your name be given glory as we celebrate the significance of your birth this season. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Trademark Church Podcast. If this message inspired you today, feel free to share with friends, leave a rating, and subscribe so you don't miss any of our weekly messages. This podcast and everything that we do at Trademark Church is only possible because of the generosity of those that call Trademark Church home. If you would like to give to the work that God is doing through Trademark, please visit trademark.church. Thanks again for checking out the podcast, and we'll see you soon.